dads, if you really want to lead and love your children in a way that they turn out to be fully functional adults, today's guest has a message for you. This is Kent Evans on the Manlyhood Mancast. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast. And here's your host, Josh Atcher. Listen, do you have goals? Do you have dreams? Do you have things that you want to accomplish in your life? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that you don't get there alone. You don't get there without a plan. Nobody climbs Everest without making a plan. You got to know when you're going to stop. You got to know when you're going to break. You got to know how far you're going to go each day. And yes, sometimes that mountain throws thunderstorms at you and snow at you and freezing temperatures at you and your plan gets derailed. That's okay, but you've still got a plan for that too. Well, that's life. That's what we want to do with your life. We want to help you make a plan, set goals, accomplish something to be a better father, a better husband, a better leader, a better man. And you're going to do it with brothers alongside you because you can't do it alone. That's what the Arrows and Iron Brotherhood is all about. If you want to be a part of it, go to manlyhood.com slash brotherhood. Today's episode is really awesome. Listen, you guys know that I'm a Christian. You know that Manlyhood is not a Christian site. It's not a Christian podcast, but I'm a Christian, and sometimes my guests are Christian. I say that because this interview with Kent Evans is amazing. He's the founder of manhoodjourney.org, which is a nonprofit that provides Christian resources for fathers. And yes, there's Christian resources, but he's also got a lot of good common sense. So whether or not you're a Christian, you're going to get something good out of this podcast. But if you are a Christian, it's going to give you even more. So I want to encourage you to listen to this podcast, listen to what Kent has to say. He's a great guy, and I'm looking forward to more interactions and opportunities uh, to work with Kent in the future. Kent, it is great to have you on the Manlyhood Mancast, man. How are you doing today? Man, Josh, what an honor. I'm doing well, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I uh, I've been looking at the work you're doing. You're doing some good stuff, man. I uh, I really appreciate it, and I I uh, I'm always glad to welcome somebody else who's on here that's doing the same work I'm doing, helping men. So it's good stuff, man. It's a blast. It's a blast. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Yeah, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. My wife April and I've been married 27 years. We have five sons. They're ages 22 down to seven, and we have uh, three by birth, two through international adoption. Our oldest is married, so we have a daughter-in-law for the first time. Praise the Lord. That was great. We love her. And uh, I was a business guy up into my mid-40s, and I started a nonprofit that helps dads be disciple makers. And so kind of have lived two lives, one life in sort of corporate America or international. I shouldn't even say corporate America because I traveled a lot, but corporate world, and then jumped out of that about six years ago full-time to lead a nonprofit focused on fatherhood. That's awesome. That's amazing. So yeah, that, that, uh, I, I really believe that, 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 uh, emphasis on helping men, man, that's, that's something awesome. You know, there's, I learned a lot about how to be a dad from my dad, but there's oh, a man. lot of people out there that don't have that. Yeah. You know? You're the, you're the minority. Good for you. 
Yeah, I am. Um, I, I'd be. I'm actually surprised how many guests when we're talking and they, they say I never. I never had that growing up, and it actually just kind of breaks my heart because yeah, that's the thing that motivates what we do here, man. Is you know, uh, the fact that that you learn how to be a man from other men, right? Mm. And guys who didn't have it don't grow up not even totally knowing what all they missed. You know, like it's it's this gap that you end up trying to fill, but you're not even totally sure why it's a gap and what happened. And yeah, it's, it's uh, it can be, it can set us back for sure. Yeah. And I don't think it's impossible to learn. You know, it's a skill that we no, can learn. No, no. You've got to work harder to find it. I think so. <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, tell me what this means, man, helping fathers be disciple makers. What does that look like? Well, um, I think we're all operating from some kind of starting point for either manhood or fatherhood. And it's a little bit like that buoy off in the distance. You know, where are we heading? Where are we swimming to? And uh, I'm swimming toward the buoy called helping my children know and love the Lord. And so that's just where I'm coming from. Doesn't mean everybody has to come from that same frame of reference, but it is my frame of reference. And so um, as opposed to, for example, helping my kid get into Harvard or helping my kid learn how to change the oil in his car, which are all valuable skills, perhaps. My main thing, my main thing is to help them know that God loves them and that he wants them and that he sent his son to die for them. And if I can get that across, I feel like I'm winning as a dad. And then, of course, yeah, like this past weekend, I want them to win their soccer games, <laughs> which we did this past weekend. And, uh, you know, my sons both scored some goals. And so I was excited about that. And so there are practical things I like to do as a dad. But at the core, at the core, I'm trying to disciple my kids, not just uh, raise them, so to speak. Right. Well, in that, within that framework of Christianity is the very concept of making disciples. It's not just about, you know, like, like, so that means that as a, as a father, that's your job. Like, I think yeah. so many men just disconnect from that. They don't, Yeah. they think their job is keeping their kids alive. Well, and the interesting thing, Josh, is um, we're all basically making disciples, right? Like in our homes. The question is, are we making disciples of, you know, Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad or uh, Alabama football or, you know, <laughs> one president or the other, a, a certain political party? We're all kind of making disciples because at the end of the day, disciple just means I'm following somebody. I'm following somebody. And if I'm disciple making, I'm encouraging people to follow me. Hey, man, I know the way. I think I found the way. Come with me. I'll show you the way. That's disciple making. And quite frankly, I think every dad on earth is making disciples. The only question is some are doing it intentionally and they're taking them to a place on purpose. And some of them are doing it accidentally because they're going to realize Hey, I, I did job X. My kids grew up and did job X. My grandkids grew up and did job X. Huh? That's because when I came home, I talked about how great job X is. And then I discipled them in the way of that career path, even though they maybe didn't do that on purpose. It kind of reminds me of a Bob Dylan quote, right? You, know, you might, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you got to have to serve somebody. So <laughs> that's true. That's so true. I was about to break in my Bob Dylan impression, but I'm afraid it might cause your listener to stop the podcast it might if we actually played bob dylan as well so <laughs> either one now all the bob either dylan one. lovers are going to be i actually love bob dylan i don't care if he can sing or not but <laughs> no i'll tell you man that's that's the key is you know i've raised two sons and two daughters uh my youngest is uh it's her senior year this year so she's on her way out the door wow yeah and we've got one grandbaby and another grandbaby on the way and uh so um, I frequently find myself looking back and, you know, this weekend, for example, was a good way to look back. I look up on the stage and I see both of my daughters on the worship team at church and they're, 
there singing and praising Jesus. You know, the one had just won homecoming queen the night before, went to the dance, came home in enough time to get enough sleep to get up there and lead worship the next morning. And I felt really proud and really excited to be able to see that, you know, all four of my kids, you know, serve Jesus. That's what they do. And so those are things that I can look at, but I, I also look at it and I see some of that's because of me. Some of that's in spite of me. (laughs) (laughs) I had a similar experience about uh, a couple of years ago when uh, one of my boys graduated from high school and both of my other boys were part of the worship experience. And so in my, my oldest son's a great guitar player. My second oldest is a drummer. My third oldest can sing and play bass. And, um, it's kind of funny. We're like the Von Trapp family, except I can't sing. Uh, and neither can my wife really. We make a joyful noise. That's about as far as we get. Uh, but it is a blast watching. Uh, even this past summer, my son led worship at a youth camp up in Wisconsin and we drove up and my other son, uh, was uh, on drums. One of my sons was on bass and my daughter-in-law was on the keyboard. And so you just look up there and you see, you know, three of your kids and your daughter and it's so fulfilling and they led us in worship. It was a blast. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of, you know, and a lot of guys out there, you know, I mean, I think what the vast majority of probably the men that are out there, uh, whether the vast majority of them would identify as Christian, right? Uh, you know, whether or not they ever go to a church or whether or not they actually live it out or whether they not, they actually are a Christian, they would identify as a Christian, right? Because that's yeah. the belief system that they've, that they, the framework that they see the, the world in. But I think if you want your kids to uh, continue on in that path, you've got to lay down a pretty good foundation for them. Mm. Well, and the tough thing is, as you said a minute ago, <clears throat> some of the things our children do might be because of our leadership. Some of them might be in spite of our leadership. At the end of the day, it is it is so important that whatever we're trying to guide our kids in, we're just not hypocrites. Like we don't have to be perfect. We we don't. <clears throat> we don't have, in fact, there's a lot of leverage. When I blow it as a dad, which I do often, and I'll scream at my kids, right? And I'm yelling at them. And then I'll go into their room later and go, hey, man, that that was not okay. Dad should not have done that. I was a sinful jerk. Will you forgive me? That process, and I don't do it every time, but I try to. When I do that, I'm, I'm, I'm being so unhypocritical. I'm a failure, right? I'm being a failure. But because of the apology, I'm, I'm not a hypocrite. And I think that's the important thing. I think a lot of dads who are in the church think they got to get it perfect. They got to be Jesus himself, or they got to never make a mistake, or they got to hide their flaws. Um, I don't think so, man. I just think you got to be genuine, got to be real. And I think that rides true again, whether or not you follow Jesus. If you sure, tell yeah. your kids that they shouldn't be doing drugs, don't be doing drugs. <laughs> and if you do, the, 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 yeah, then, then get off of them immediately and make sure that they can see that. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, like oh, change your life and, and, and going in and apologizing and then still acting like a butthole is not going to help them at all. You no, know, we've got, no. to, we've got to adjust the way we do things. As they say, more, more is caught than taught. Right. And so mm-hmm. we can try to teach all we want, but what our kids are going to actually probably do is, is catch our priorities. Um, if I want, again, to your point, you don't have to be a Jesus lover to appreciate this, but if I want my kids to, to love their wives well one day, I've, I've got to set that example in my home. I can't kick them out of the house at 18 and say, yeah, I know I've been screaming and yelling and beating your mom and, you know, throwing things at her, but you should do better. You know, it's just, you can try that. And kids do overcome bad parental exa- parental examples. However, I just don't want to be a roadblock if I can. Mm. Do you think it's ever too late? 
Oh gosh, no. Uh, God, God. The, one of the, uh, my pastor says one of his favorite things about God is that He redeems, um, and that's the truth. Uh, and that word "redeem" just means you know He can take something that's completely dead, has no life. Uh, we see this vivid picture in the Old Testament of dry bones coming to life again uh, from nothing, from nothing at all. Uh, dry bones come to life and make this army, and uh, it's never, ever, ever too late. And I've got stories as long as my arm about guys who have turned it around late in life. And sure, you lose some time and there's consequences. But, man, if you're if you're a guy listening to this and you think, oh, I'm too far gone or, you know, I tried to set the example and I failed or my kids are already out of the house. You know, don't give up, man. It, it, it's never too late. And sometimes those later in adult type conversations where you pull your 27 year old aside and say, hey, I really didn't do it right. I wish I would have, and I'm committed to try to redeem the next five or 10 or 20 years, however much I have left. Those conversations can set your kids back on a path, um, even if the first 20 or 25 years were less than ideal. Yeah. Uh, You know, and that's funny because I think that uh, a lot of the mistakes that I made as a dad, I didn't catch until later. I thought I was doing the right thing, right? And now, I heard a guy one time say, parenting's the only job where by the time you know if you did it right or wrong, it's too late to fix it. Yeah. I, I told my kids when they were younger, especially when they're hitting those teenage years and everything felt like you were constantly button heads. I'm like, you guys, I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to let therapy sort you out later. And we <laughs> laughed at the joke because it was funny, but now here we are. And that's what's happening, you know? <laughs> You know, I see all the, the, the neuroses and the the anxiety and all the things that I'm like, I know exactly where that came from. And I'm always I'm trying to start making those things right now with them. It is hard to apologize and to try to make that yeah. right when you've screwed it up, you know? Oh, for sure. And I think a lot of it comes from our our what's our underlying belief system is our underlying belief system that we have to be perfect. And I think a lot of dads feel that way. In fact, we've surveyed thousands in our ministry. I got data points from thousands of guys, literally thousands. And. If I could brush them with one word, it would be failure. And it's not because they are failing. It's because they feel like they're failing. And then if you press in and go, hey, man, why do you feel like you're failing? The, the benchmark that they would compare themselves to, right? Like I'm, I'm five foot three. If you come to my house, you'd say, man, there's a short guy. I'm a short guy. But how do you know that? <laughs> because everybody else is taller. I mean, that's the only, only way you know that is by comparing me. If I went to certain cultures in the world, I'd probably be average height or maybe a little tall. And so the benchmark is very interesting to me. In my line of work, the benchmark is interesting. If you feel like you're failing as a man, as a husband, as a dad, compared to what? And sometimes you find these bizarro, unreachable, never going to happen comparisons, you know, and that delta is something a lot of guys live with and live under forever. And they don't have to. They really don't have to. Hmm. Yeah, I'm six foot three, so we should. Uh, I'm not out in Louisville very often, but next time we go out, we should go out on the town and it'd be like, what was that shit? What was that movie with uh, uh, Mutt and Jeff? Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger no, oh, and, uh, yes, and Danny uh, DeVito. Danny DeVito, like, yes. Twins. Twins. They were twin brothers. Twins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. In college, I had two buddies that were linemen for the University of Kentucky, and so they were like six, eight. 290, you know, like these huge hulking guys. And we'd occasionally walk the class together. And it was like Chuck, Kent, Greg, you know, and they were so much taller than me. It was great. It's all good, man. That's awesome. So uh, you, you talk about surveying men and getting a lot of data points. What are some other things that you've learned from from that data collection? Yeah. About men, about well, the, 
the number one thing that's always far and away the number one issue. The question I like to ask guys is, and you can answer this in a minute just for fun. What's your biggest challenge as a father? What's your biggest challenge as a father? And we get those questions and then we catalog them and warehouse them and codify them into data points we can sort of track, right? So it's qualitative data. If you're a scientist out there listening, it's not quant data, but it's qualitative data. But then we kind of try to gain some insights from it. And far and away, far and away, like there's almost not even a second place. The number one thing we hear all the time is the word time, T-I-M-E. And it comes in all these flavors, right? It's like ice cream, but it has about seven or eight different flavors. I don't have enough time. I don't know how to prioritize my time. I'm running out of time. There's not enough time in the day. We hear this quote all the time. And I find that really interesting where if you ask a guy what his greatest fatherhood challenge is, he instantly goes to his calendar and how much time he does or doesn't have. Like, like, so for example, if I were to say, what's your biggest financial challenge right now? You wouldn't say time. If I say, what's your big, what's your biggest athletic challenge right now? What's your biggest health challenge right now? You wouldn't say time. It's interesting though. The word time is the knee jerk reaction for the vast majority of dads we survey. And then you get into things like communication, leadership, procrastination, anger. There's a few other kind of top five, but the gap between one and two is dramatic. And guys just say they don't have enough time, which is ironic because we all have the same amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get down to it, you and I have the same amount of time as Elon Musk and Marie Curie and, you know, Gandhi and, and my mother, Teresa, like we all have the same 24 hours. So I love that whole dialogue around what's the issue with time, because it's really an issue of priorities and mission. Uh, because, you know, if you get diagnosed with, with cancer, you find time for chemo. You just do. And so the question becomes for men or dads, What's the, what's the time enemy and how does it work? It's a fascinating uh, reality I've seen the last mm, five or six years as, we, as we've surveyed dads. So I have a theory on some of that, too. I think that as, our, as the economy continues to kind of whatever the economy is doing right now, <laughs> um, I, I think that, that, you know, that requires more – typically that requires more work to make more money, to – meet the needs. And I think the vast majority of middle-class working class dads are facing that reality that, Hey, uh, I want to be able to have dinner with you at the table, but in order to actually have dinner, I've got to work till after dinner, you know? And I think that is a very, (laughs) right. You know, like uh, now it's not the case for a lot of dads who, you know, maybe are maybe above a certain line, you know, economically and they go Mm -hmm. out and they, you know, they have the side by side and they've got the big old truck and they've got, you know, because they've got plenty of money. Right. But most of the time it's all debt anyway. So then they end up having to work more, you know, it's, it's <laughs> a mess how it's a mess, how, how that trickles into your, your family yeah. relationships. It's a major deal. And to your point, especially when you have economic pressure or you have like right now, we're, we're recording this at a time when inflation is up the last six, seven months. Inflation has been kind of crazy. Uh, and economists are all predicting the next 12 months going to be just as bad. And, you know, we may not see a turnaround for another year. And so there's the, there's the pressure of less and less of your dollars go farther and farther. And that's real. That's real for all of us. Um, I heard a guy say one time, uh, he said, yeah, this is through a friend. He said, yeah, when my net worth gets below 200 million, I get a little nervous. Um, you know, and here's what was interesting. Here's what was interesting, Josh. What's interesting about that is then the speaker who shared that data point, he goes, you know, I know you guys are laughing and you find that ironic. He goes, however, we've all got a number. We've all got a number. 
and below some number, whatever that is, this week's paycheck, you know, that 401k balance, whatever your number is, below it, you start to find out where your hope and your trust really lies. Because below that number, <clears throat> are you? what are you relying on? And so we all do have these economic pressures. The challenge becomes, do we think our savior is economics? Uh, or do we think our savior is physical health? Or is our savior the right politician? Um, and I, yeah, I've just kind of divorced myself from some of those belief systems because, you know, they're all just kind of shallow. In the end, they don't deliver. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, we can work all we want to try to build some kind of self-sufficiency and some kind of independence, you know, which isn't a bad thing to do. But at the end of the day, what is the most important thing to you? And, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, like I, I think about these guys and they're like, man, I just can't, we can't afford to put food on the table. Okay. Then what can you afford to get? First of all, that's a horrible place to be in. And yeah, I've been there exactly. many times. So what can you afford to get rid of, you know? Mm. And how can you structure your life in a way, you know, and if it means that you need to find a new job, if it means you need to relocate, I think that's the thing that breaks a lot of people's back is that, mm. okay, in order to take care of this, I'm going to have to leave this community that I love to go find mm. a place where I can make enough money without working so hard to provide for my family. That's, that's the kind of thing I think a lot of people face today. They do. I remember when April and I got married 27 years ago, we both came in, I came in with more, but we came in with a lot of debt, a ton a, a, I don't remember the exact number, but it was a lot of credit card debt, automotive debt, you know, a lot of stuff where you're just like, whoo, man, it's just not, it's not smart financially. And it took us a long time to work our way out of the, the, what I call the, the really stupid unwise debt, right? It's uh, the credit cards and we're rolling them every 90 days onto zero interest, new credit cards. Like I remember playing that game. I remember missing those payments. I remember thinking, my goodness, man, at minimum payments, I will pay this off when I'm 987. Like, this is never going to get paid off. And we were fortunate enough to get a couple things happen where we could knock it out in bigger chunks so that we cut that curve off the end. But, man, there's almost nothing quite like financial pressure. And I feel for any guy who has it because um, at the end of the day, you can't pour enough time into that into that machine to fix every short-term problem. But you can, I think the hope is, the, the, the bright side of that coin is over enough time, you can normally work your way out of most financial trouble. You know, I mean, I know there's some things that are debilitating and life altering from a financial standpoint. But for most of us, if, if we can, you know, tighten the belt and get some more discipline around some things and, and maybe catch a break at work or get that one little extra bonus that one time, there's some things we can do that over time I think will will work out for most guys. And, yeah, I feel for a guy who has to who has to cut ties with his community. We we've I'm 52 at the time of recording this and uh, I've lived in the same city my entire life. And even though I had chances to travel and jobs that took me all over the world, uh, travel wise, I didn't ever have to relocate. And I'm grateful because we have a lot of, a lot of deep relationships and I would hate to have to leave. Yeah. That, that the same here. I'm, I've had, you know, I, I moved back to the area that I grew up in in order to raise my kids here. And, uh, you know, there's been plenty of opportunities to pack up and move somewhere else. We're literally like in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm right on the very border of the Allegheny National Forest here. And I don't want to go anywhere. I'm, you know, like we've suffered, <laughs> you know, <laughs> suffered through poverty sometimes in our in our life so that we didn't have to move, you know. And and I'm, I'm glad that we did. You know, that was it was a, some hard decisions to make to do that. But, you know, you can make it work. You know, if you don't make excuses. So 
that kind of economic thing kind of makes me think about, you know, the fact that there's a, there's a lot of dads that I deal with, a lot of guys that ask me questions. Usually by the time a guy reaches out because he wants help being a dad, he you know, he needs help with these things, is usually when it's already a mess. <laughs> right. Um, yes. Which, you... by the way, note to dads, ask us sooner. Like, reach out to a guy sooner. I mean, can we just, like, break the cycle, man? Like, can we get ahead of the, the marriage already with divorce papers? Can we get ahead of the house already in foreclosure? I mean, could... Sorry, Josh, I'm not taking over your podcast, but I'm like, percent right. That's why I've got you on here, man. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. Like if you could have helped you six months ago, I could have helped you a year ago. (laughs) Yeah, I could still try to help, but it's just going to suck. You know, that's all there is to it. Whatever you're trying to do to make it better, it's going to suck. So sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to ask a really brilliant question. Well, I I was I I, I was headed that direction. I don't know if it was really. (laughs) I'm sure it was. You're thinking too much of me, my friend. <laughs> but I was going to ask, you know, knowing that, that guys ask for help when it's too late. You know, it's all re- not too late, but it's already a mess. Um, what advice do you have for that dad that is in a mess with his mm. family, with his relationship, with his kids? You know, he's he's wanting to make a difference, but it seems like everything he does is just, yeah. you know, rowing against the hurricane, you know? Man, I would I would tell a brief story, and that's when I was 17 or 18, my parents went through a divorce, and it was really traumatic, and I was super angry and frustrated. And I went to a counselor, and um, I was kind of like in this position mentally where I was like, hey, I'm not going to end up where they ended up. You know, I was so just kind of like hell-bent on not going down that same path as my parents, and um, although they didn't mean to either, right? And so my counselor told me something really fascinating, and he goes, Kent, you know what, you you cannot become the unsomething. You cannot become the unsomething. And we, we talked about it a bit longer and, and he was like, your brain doesn't know what to do. If you go, Hey, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be an astronaut. Well, your brain doesn't do anything next, right? There's no, it doesn't therefore go be a fireman or therefore go be an NBA player. Like it, you've got to aim your brain towards something you actually do want. The reason I tell that brief story is because most guys, and we've surveyed them, I know, the, I know the numbers, most guys would say they don't have one running buddy in life that who really knows what's going on in their life. Most guys would say that. I think the last number I saw was somewhere north of 60, 70% of guys do not have a running buddy uh, you know, outside their spouse or kids who kind of knows what's going on in their life. And that, that is a dangerous place. That's a dangerous way to live. Right? It's like living in your seat back on two legs, you know, it's kind of thrilling and exciting until, you know, you lose your job or until your wife files for divorce or until one of your kids gets cancer. Like it's, then you realize, dang it, man, I don't got anybody around me. I have no insulation. Uh, Even in the old Testament, David had his mighty men, right? If you're a Christian, you you just know about Jesus had his 12 um, and uh, he didn't need them to live. Right. But he needed them to be on mission with him. He allowed them to be on mission with him. And so for me, the guy who's right now listening to this podcast and finds himself in like dire straits one way or the other, either health, economics, relationships, job wise, and who has no one around him, man, number one, I feel for you. And I'm sorry, that's where you are. But number two, you can solve that problem tomorrow. And that is reach out to somebody, reach out to somebody. Uh, and the reason I tell you that story about when I was 17 or 18, so I asked my counselor, I said, Hey, so what do I do if I don't want to become the unsomething and I got to become something, what do I do? He goes, get around men who have figured out some piece of life that you also want to figure out. 
He goes, it could be your golf game, your money, your hairstyle. It doesn't matter. And so what I started doing, Josh, even at the age of uh, 18, 19, 20, I started looking for men who had what I wanted, who had what I wanted. And the way author Mark Batterson would talk about this is the reticular activating system, common brain function. It's what our brain says to ignore and what our brain says to notice, right? So if I came over to your house and I walk in your front door, I might look up at the wall and go, man, that's a cool picture of your family. And you'd look up at that picture and go, huh, I forgot that thing was there. Why is that? Because your brain eventually tells you, hey, man, stop noticing that picture. It's way too much information to process, so knock it off. So if you've ever rented a car and you rent a red car, what do you see all day? Red cars. Why? Because they all showed up? No, because you just started noticing them. So around every guy listening to this show are three or five or 10 or 15 guys who could help them. And all they got to do is start driving the red car. They just got to start noticing the men around them and then grab coffee. I think one of the best life insulation devices in the world is Starbucks. Just ask a dude to go to coffee and say, hey, man, you seem to have your marriage kind of squared away. You seem to like always be the dude buying lunch. Like you don't seem to have a lot of financial pressure or your kids actually seem like they relatively like being around you. Whatever you can notice about that guy, man, go ask him. Ask him why. Like even before we started recording, I was like, Josh, if you got five minutes after we're done today, I want to ask you some questions about podcasting because you're farther down the podcasting road than we are. And I, I just have, I'm 52. I've been doing it now for 35 years. I'm wired to pull knowledge out of other men. And I just encourage guys to do that. The men are around you. They're all driving red cars. You just got to notice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, and that sometimes that's hard because our culture has this idea that you're not supposed to show any kind of weakness or, <laughs> and, and it shouldn't be that way, but it is sometimes, you know, I think it's kind of awkward to, to, to say, uh, I need to learn from you. And, <laughs> and, and if you're at that place and you're like, you're not willing to ask it, okay, then at least just spend time with them. I think it'll rub off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say like. To the guy who's not necessarily a Christian or who's not necessarily looking at it through the Jesus lens, there's a very practical, like Machiavellian means to an end, uh, mercenary way to look at it. If I can learn from your skills and experiences, I can save myself a bunch of trouble. Like that's just a an obvious way to do it. It's why we all go YouTube videos on how to fix that thing in our car, <laughs> right? Because it's like, exactly. why? Why go out there and just start banging on it when... I was trying to put a hitch on my, my Highlander to put our bike rack on it, and I looked up a video, right? And six minutes later, I got the dumb hitch on, and it would have taken me an hour or two to even find where the bolts go. That's the real kind of like just practical, everyday, non-Christian. It's just practical. It just makes sense. Now, hey. biblically, biblically, if you're not surrounding yourself with wise people, the Bible has a word for you, and you'd, they'd, call, they'd call you a fool. <laughs> That's what the Bible would call you. And so <clears throat> if you're not a Christian, go be practical. If you are a believer, don't be a fool. Uh, surround yourself with wise counsel and wise men. With many advisors, your plans will succeed. With many advisors, your plans will succeed. And that's what Proverbs will tell us, and there's dozens of other verses just to help us. But, again, through either lens, whether you're looking at it through a Jesus lens or not, uh, finding other people who are farther down the road than us is a smart move. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what – has honestly kept me out of trouble in my life. You know, there's been so many opportunities where if I had, and if you've got good people in your life, they're the kind of people that are going to notice when you're headed off the track, you know, that accountability oh, yeah. that you've got to have. Cause you know, I've got people coming to me and say, Hey man, are you doing okay? Cause you're kind of hanging your head low or, 
Or when I talk about this, you reacted a certain way. You know, we don't get that if we're not living in community with people. Right. Well, and what's interesting to me, man, when I think of the word accountability, it's always it's always naturally viewed in a negative light. Like I'm driving down the road and if I start to get off track, you will hold me accountable. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <clears throat> you don't you wouldn't say that about the other nine players on your baseball team or the other 10 guys on the offensive team in a football game. Well, their job is to correct the routes I'm running. Their job is to tell me how bad I ran as a no, you see yourself as a team accomplishing a goal. And so one of the things guys miss a lot in accountability is it's not just the prevention of negative, mm-hmm. it's the acceleration of positive. And so I want guys around me who will go, hey, man, that podcast you did with Josh Hatcher, nice. That When you said the thing at minute eight, that was really smart. I love the way you said that. I remember, man, like four or five months ago, I was speaking in front of a crowd of about 100, and one guy in the crowd had been a university president um, and was a good friend. And had taught people how to speak in public. Like, he was like the, the man. And I went down before the, my speaking moment. And I said, hey, Ken, would you do me a favor? He said, sure. I said, could you do two things today? One, would you pay attention? And he laughed. And I said, secondly, would you pay attention with the intent to give me feedback? And he goes, absolutely. And I go, you've trained 100 people like me. So I'm sitting there. It's like me talking up in front of, you know, this, this Steph Curry of speaking in public, right? And afterward, I I should send it to you. You'd love to see it. I'll send it to you privately. Uh, He sent me an email with like 10 things that I did right, Mm. that I did right. And he just said, man, I have very little negative feedback to give you, but here's the things I'd suggest you keep doing. Oh, and you talk about just gold. I mean, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm sure he could have found 10 things I did wrong. It's not because they weren't there. It's because what he knows is you're going to get more bees with honey than vinegar. And what he's trying to do is help me double down on my strengths and not just be self-conscious about my weaknesses. And that's the other side of accountability that we don't talk enough about. I tell you what, you translate that directly to parenting, the difference that that would make. Holy cow. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just for fun, go ask your kids one thing you've done right in the last month. I dare you. You'd be surprised. They'll come up with more than one. But you will also get a lens and a view into their heart and what they value. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the same with them. How often are we having to bring correction to them when, <laughs> you know, like, dude, you did the dishes wrong. There's food all over these dishes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, exactly. it's not that you can't ever say those things. You have to say them sometimes. But what if I... I don't know. It just got me thinking, man. Like, what if I took that? Oh, my goodness. Instead of point everything wrong, start highlighting the things they're doing right, because then they know, oh, I'll do it like that. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, man, marriage and parenting are two of the best places to pour positive feedback into the top of the meat grinder and just see what comes out the bottom. See what comes out the bottom. Catch your kids doing something right. Tell your wife that thing about her that you love that she did. My wife is, by the way, an amazing accountability partner, both in in the both negative and positive light. She'll tell me when I'm off and she'll tell me when I'm on. Um, But she is an amazing, amazing hostess of other people. If you come to my house, you're going to feel welcomed and honored and well-treated. Not because I did it. (laughs) I'll probably be down in the basement recording a podcast while you're upstairs. I'll be like, I'll be there in a minute, you know. But when you come here, and the other day I told her, we had a, our son came home from college and he brought his uh, girlfriend. And uh, I told her after that weekend, I said, hey, honey, man, 
you make our, our home a great place to come to. And I'm super grateful because like our kids want to be here and it's not just because I'm a nice guy, although I try to be, but it's because they know mom's going to take care of them. And even their friends and their girlfriends and their guy friends, she, they're going to feel welcomed. And I want to tell my wife, hey, that's a gift you have. Way to go. Keep going. Yeah. I, I mean, that's almost contrary to human nature, I think. <laughs> you know the what book I'm of Hebrews, The book of Hebrews, for the Christian, again, the book of Hebrews says, let us not give up encouraging one another. Let us encourage one another. And it says, it connects it to the fact that the days are evil, that the fact is we're running out of time. You're running out of time to encourage the people around you. And odds are your kids and your wife don't have this full bucket called, gosh, dad encourages me so much. I just wish he'd stop it. I'm sick and tired of all that great encouragement my dad gives me. I don't think any of our wives or kids are out there saying that. I'm positive they're not out there saying that. I am positive they're not out there saying, man, I just wish he would stop saying nice things to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's do it. I think we can do it, man. And it's, and it's one of those weird, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Cause when you give the gift of encouragement, you also feel better for having done it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's excellent, excellent perspective and advice on that. Hmm. So what else do we need to know, man, about raising a family, about making disciples in our home? What, what else do we need to know? Man, I think the baseline, the baseline is, are, do we have the buoy off in the distance? We've talked a little bit about that. Where are you headed? You know, if, if you're headed toward economic superiority or them voting a certain way in every election, whatever. I'm not, I'm not even judging all that. I'm just saying knowing where you're headed is a big, big deal. Uh, secondly, being non-hypocritical in the process, non-hypocritical in the process. That doesn't mean not failing. It means when we fail, we get back on the horse. <clears throat> And then I would say the third thing, and uh, th- this for me is one of my very favorite sort of fatherhood topics to get on. And so don't let me go way up on my soapbox here, Josh, very long. But guys will ask me, especially if it's in the church, I just, I'm always in front of like a, I'm often in front of a Christian audience and they'll say, what are a couple things I got to do as a dad? And I'll say, number one, read your Bible more often. Again, we don't suffer for having too much encouragement and very few guys suffer for having way too much Bible in their head. It's usually the very opposite. And the second thing I'll tell them is read the Bible more often and ask better questions. Mm. Ask better questions. You're, you're tipping over, right, in terms of the empty nest sort of phase of life where your, your youngest is about to be gone. And so you can reflect now back on their teenage years and how different those were than their elementary or baby years where, you know, let's just use rough math. Under the age of 10, you're telling your kids everything. Don't do that. Stop it. Go to your room. Fix that. Turn that, you know. It's all directives and commands, and that's appropriate. They got, you got to keep them out of the street. You know, they got to take a bath. You know, there's things they have to do. After the age of 10, and we could debate 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range, you get way more mileage out of your relationship with your kids by asking them good questions. I remember reading the book years ago called Teaching to Change Lives by Howard Hendricks, um, and his premise in the book was a lot of teachers think it's their job to get information from my head into your head. And that's their premise for teaching. He's like, that's the wrong premise for teaching. The right premise for teaching is I'm trying to teach you how to think, how to take problems and solve them without me there so that you can live without me. That's my, that's my actual job as a teacher. Well, same as a dad. And so for me, I want to encourage dads to ask better questions. The dad who comes to me and goes, man, my kids just won't talk to me. And they got a teenage daughter. And I go, awesome. So when she comes home from school, what do you ask her? 
He goes, well, I ask her how her day went. And I go, well, with all due respect, that question sucks. You deserve a pathetic, lackluster, non-communicative answer because that is a lazy, lazy question. <laughs> and the dad looks back at me like, dag. And I'm like, look, man, ask her what the most surprising thing of her day was. Ask her about the best part of her day. Ask her about one thing that disappointed her. Ask a better question if you want to get better communication. Because the second thing dads tell us, they don't have enough time, they don't know how to communicate. That's number two. In all of our surveys, it's time and communication. They're the top two issues. Communication is not about telling. It's about asking. It's about asking. And so if you think you can just boss your 15-year-old around, that's why she's going to hate you when, you're six, when she's 16. Ask her. Excuse me, honey. As you're leaving the house today, um, is that an appropriate outfit for you to be wearing? Or should I say barely wearing? Because I don't know. What do you think about that? You know, ask her the questions and force her to reckon with her own choices. And same for guys, man. My son, Alex, he would do something knucklehead and I'd say, knock it off. And he'd go, why? And I'd go, no, that's not how this works. You give me three reasons why that's stupid or you don't eat dinner. Because, like, he had to learn to think and to process. And I would just say that's the encouragement for dads is – you want better communication with your kids? Ask better questions. Hmm. I think that's excellent advice, man. That's really good. Well, uh, Kent, I like to ask all my guests a few questions, uh, and I love getting a, a variety of answers to these. I, yeah, they've been pretty cool just to see over the course of the past couple of years that we've been doing this. The questions have, haven't really changed much, but the answers are always very different. So um, the first question I like to ask is, what does it take to be a man? Man, that is a good question. And you told me before we started, you were going to ask it. I'm not sure I'm ready to answer it. I would say what it takes to be a man, at least from my perspective, is the willingness to put others first. I think that is the, the number one characteristic of a man is the willingness to put others first. It might be your kids. It may be your wife. And again, I'm working from a framework where my my foundation or my frame of reference is, is Jesus. He's the model man for the Christian. Jesus is the model man. And what he did was sacrificed himself for us. And so I find in that core and that essence, that's what it takes to be a man. We all look back on like nine 11 and we think of heroes like a Todd Beamer who said, let's roll. And he, he took charge and, and probably knowing he wasn't going to live through that process or at least running the risk of not living through that process. And we, we call those guys heroes. The reason is because they sacrifice themselves. And I think day to day for me to be a man, I've got to be willing to put other people first. That's very true. Very true. You know what the, the scripture verse about Jesus doing that is greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Mm. So, that's very true, man. Uh, the next question is if you were, to, I imagine you'd have to suspend the laws of time and physics to make this happen. But if you were to run into the 10 year old version of yourself, what do you want him to know? Well, first I would say, sorry, buddy, you're not going to get any taller. Um, it's over. It's over for you. Uh, <laughs> cause roughly that's pretty true. Josh, in my case, uh, that'd be the first thing. The second thing I would be, I would say is, Talk half as often. Mm. Talk half as often. I've gotten in way, way, way more trouble in my life for what I did say rather than for what I didn't say. 
And so usually my trouble, whether it's economic or relational or business or you name it, is because I ran my mouth without thinking. And I would just tell my 10-year-old self, hey, man, learn to talk about half as much as you do now. Uh, Yeah, that would have been good advice to hear. I probably (laughs) actually heard it when I was 10 and I just didn't care. (laughs) Yeah. That's actually one of the questions that I ask as a follow-up a lot of time is, would you have listened? And the answer is usually, no. I already know. I already know. Probably not. I'd have been too busy talking. Yeah. Yeah. I was that way. My mom told me when I was little, she said, Josh, if you can find a career where you can make a living, run in your mouth, you'll be set. Exactly. My first first job was in radio, so. Oh, that's great. And here you are on the, on the big time podcast. There we go. Yeah, exactly. You've done it. You hit the big time, Josh. And I, dude, I, I'm going to second that too, because I made, I've, I've done a lot of damage with my mouth and just saying the thing that's on my mind, because I think I've earned the right to say it. And Mm. nine times out of 10, I should have just shut up. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Oh, my next question is what is your best advice for the men that are listening today? Um, I would put it in two buckets. Bucket number one, if you're married, uh, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Even if you don't, if you're not a Jesus follower, it's okay. Love your wife. You're going to reap dividends beyond measure by loving her well that will affect your life, your relationships with your kids, your finances, your work, everything. Love your wife well. And then secondly, I would say is give God a chance. If If you don't already know God and you don't trust him, give him a chance. He loves you more than you know. And I would say that's my best advice is uh, go go see what God thinks about you because he thinks more about you probably than you do. Mm. That's excellent advice, my friend. I really appreciate that. Ken, I know you've uh, you've written a book, right? And you've got the stuff that you've got going on. How can our listeners connect with the work that you're doing and, and the stuff that you've got out there? Well, first, I do a $1,000 a month coaching program. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> we, okay? Yeah, we, we actually I talked just, about that at the beginning. That's not, that's but, not to slam coaches. It's not yeah. a negative. The the whole the whole uh, you know scheme that seems to be what all men uh, like to promote is you know hey uh, pay me a thousand dollars a month so that I can teach you how to ask people to pay you a thousand dollars a month. <laughs> there will be no value. There will be no value. However, however, uh, hey, at least back when I was uh, in the Amway business, you got really great laundry detergent. Okay, right. at least you got the really good dish soap and laundry detergent and the cosmetics were fantastic according to my wife. So right. uh, at least you got great products. Um, uh, wh- what was the question? <laughs> I was actually asking how people can connect with you. What's oh the best golly. Way? Okay. Uh, best way would be our, our ministry that we launched about 12 years ago is called manhood journey. And it's intended to help dads become disciple makers. So we got tons of resources for the dads. Pretty much all of them are going to be from a biblical or Christian worldview, just as a heads up. And uh, but you can go to manhoodjourney.org. That's manhoodjourney.org. That'd be one way. Or you can snag our latest book called Bring Your Hammer, which is 28 life lessons for the dad from the book of Nehemiah. And you can find that on Amazon. Just search for Bring Your Hammer. Awesome. Great. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me on the on the podcast today, man. This is good stuff. No, it's a it's a blast, man. I, I uh, enjoyed the chance to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, I'd I'd like to have you on again sometime. So I'll add you to my list of people to call back down the road a little bit. So I will be the same height as I am now. <laughs> I just want to let you know. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? If everything goes right, I'll be the same height. I actually may be a, a bit shorter. It's like I'm yeah, at that part of my life where it's yeah. starting to go the other direction. Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. My pleasure, Josh. Keep up the good work, man. I love your show. Thanks.
Kent Evans, thank you so much for being on the Manlyhood Mancast. I appreciate you so much, brother. Uh, I think he's doing great stuff, so make sure that you click on the show notes and you click through to his links. I want you to support the work that he's doing at Manhood Journey because, again, whether or not you're a Christian, this is just good advice. It's practical advice that will help you to be a better husband, a better father, a better leader. This is good stuff. So we want to support uh, the work that Kent is doing. Uh, Listen, also, I just want to invite you, if you are a man that's listening to this podcast, I've got something for you. Um, we've got the Manlyhood Man Cave, which is our private Facebook group. It's free to join, and there's great advice and great community happening there in the Man Cave. And that's uh, for anybody. So if you're on Facebook and you want to be a part of it, just go there, send a request, answer a couple questions, and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to have you. And make sure you introduce yourself. Tell us where you're at. Tell us how you heard about it so that we can uh, connect with you and help you grow together. And if you want to go that next level up so that you're going to get more uh, brotherhood. You're going to get higher quality information. You're going to get some training. You're going to get some coaching. That's going to happen with the Arrows and Iron Brotherhood. And I want you to be a part of that. So go to manlyhood.com slash brotherhood. Also, if you want some Manlyhood merch, uh, you're going to get some great t-shirts, some great books, some other stuff at our Manlyhood store. So for that, just go to manlyhood.com slash store. Guys, I really hope that you got something good out of this podcast. I hope you get something good out of every podcast. I hope that you're going to walk away from this feeling charged up and excited and encouraged. And if you're not and you need to be, please let us know because I guarantee you we can have a conversation. We can work through the hard stuff and we can talk about the good stuff. I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, guys, be good. Be well. Have a great week. I love you and I care about you and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast. 